We read scripture this evening from Proverbs chapter 3. We hear the inspired word of God. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then thou shalt walk in, the, in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go, and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of of fools. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take as our text this evening verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we gather this evening for the annual prayer day service. The history of this service, as you well know, has to do with our explicit dependence upon God for the planting and the harvest season. And not only those who are engaged in farming, but all of us recognize our complete dependence upon God 
for everything that we have and everything that we are. Our text addresses the attitude that we are to have toward God. When we look at what God has given us and we look at what we need for the coming year, what must our attitude be with regard to our work of sowing and giving the first fruits? Both of these activities are very challenging for us because they require much faith. In both ways, we're required to give first to the Lord. It's not the attitude, if I have something left over, then I'll give it to God. But the idea is, put the Lord first. Now, the farmers in the Bible time lived day by day. And the connection that's found behind Psalter number 357 is that which is found in Psalm 126. The farmers would store their seed, and they would have their grain in their storage container or barn. And the situation would be such that they would then use that grain throughout the course of the year to make bread with it. But as it got near to spring, they had to be careful because they needed sufficient seed to plant. And so there became that tension that existed in the home of the farmer. How much do we eat? And how much do we save for later, for planting? And then as it got close, there could be at times tears when the planting had to take place. Because by taking the seed out of the storage in order to plant it, that meant now that they were going to have not very much to eat for the coming weeks and perhaps even months. And so that's why the psalm and reflected in the Psalter number is sowing with tears. Not knowing what the outcome is going to be, not knowing whether God would give a generous harvest or whether all of it would come to vain. When sowing, one doesn't know. Is it going to be a good harvest or not? And so then there's this tension that existed. If we sow thick seed, then that would bring about, perhaps, a bountiful harvest. But then we're robbing ourselves of food that we could be eating. Whereas if we sow less thick, so that we sow it more thin, then we save the seed, but then our harvest, perhaps, is not going to be what it could be. And so that was the tension that the farmer faced as he sowed his seed. And did so in the context of knowing that this was going to affect what his family had to eat. Now we face somewhat similar challenges at time. What do we do with that with which we've been blessed? Do we save it up? Do we invest it wisely, perhaps for retirement or the education and tuition of our children? Do we use it now for the causes of God's kingdom? So that how much do we give to the Lord? How do we make use of that with which God's blessed us with. But more importantly, what is our attitude toward it? That's what this text gets at. Honor the Lord. That word honor pictures something that's weighty, something that's very, very heavy. This isn't something that's physically heavy, but it has to do with that which is something that is important. And it's so important that we're constantly thinking about it. We're constantly putting it before our mind. That's what God is. Honor the Lord. Jehovah God is so weighty in our estimation. He means so much to us that we're putting him always before us. If we think of the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, the idea there again being that your parents are weighty. Weighty in terms of the fact of the place that they occupy before God. And that our calling then with regard to our parents is to show that respect and that honor that they are due. The question that we face then is this. How weighty in our thoughts is Jehovah God? As we consider our needs and as we consider his provision of those needs. Today, how weighty was God in your thoughts? As you woke up, as you sat down for breakfast, for noon, for supper. 
How weighty in your thoughts is your consideration of God as you write checks out of your checkbook for the various causes of God's kingdom, as you try to pay the bills? How much value do you put on God and His authority in every aspect of our life? And how do you show that in the way of prayer? Acknowledging your complete dependence upon Him and looking to Him as the one who alone is able not only to supply your every need, but also to give you that grace to honor Him with all that you have. How are we living and demonstrating our acknowledgement of God's hand in our lives as we've proceeded through the family visitation season? Psalm, 100, or Psalm 16, verse 8, makes reference to the fact of setting the Lord always before my eyes. How much are we seeing God ever before our eyes and thinking about his hand daily upon which we're entirely dependent. We look at that this evening, honoring God with our first fruits. Noting, first of all, the honor that's to be shown, secondly, the substance that's talked about here, and then finally, the blessing that the proverb expresses. Honor the Lord. Lord, in all capitals, as you're familiar, is a reference to Jehovah, our covenant-keeping God. And when we see that reference, we think of especially two things. First of all, Jehovah is the independent one. He's the only independent one. Everything else is dependent. We're dependent creatures, and we're dependent on him. But Jehovah, he is the one who is absolutely independent. You and I exist because of God. God is the one that gave us life. Whereas God owes his existence to no one. Now, why does God extend his love and his favor to particular persons? We stand in awe of that. His grace, his love isn't conditional. It's not something that we earn or can deserve. It is absolutely free. It's independent of anything or anyone else. And that's the truth, especially that the Lord conveys. God is sovereign. He's completely independent. And he's the one who determines all things according to his sovereign good pleasure. But then secondly, that idea of Lord has to do with his unchanging covenant faithfulness. He's the independent one who never changes, who's perfect in all of his works and in all of his ways, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. And this God, Jehovah, our covenant-keeping God, is the one that we're called then to honor. Now, as we know, that honor means weighty or heavy. To be a weighty or a heavy individual or person is to be someone who's honorable, someone who's worthy of respect, someone who ought to be acknowledged and reverenced. To honor God is to display that solemn awe in the presence of his greatness his heaviness, his majesty. Jehovah God calls us to show that honor in the way of prayer. We pray. And when we pray and we acknowledge that Jehovah God is the independent God, who is our covenant-keeping God, the one upon whom we are entirely dependent, we show that honor. We show that he is the heavy, the weighty one. And we show that honor in terms of a heart that has been given to understand and to know the marvelous love that is ours in Jesus Christ. He loved us with an everlasting love. And by the power of that love, he breaks down and destroys our self-centeredness. We would be inclined only to esteem self. But by a wonder of God's love, he destroys that selfish spirit And he works in us the wonder of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who gave himself for us and who works in us by his Spirit so that we are willing and desirous to live unto him, to honor him, to extol him, to live dependent upon him, and to demonstrate in our walk and our conduct that he is the most weighty, 
the most heavy thing in our life, that which is worthy of all praise and honor. We show that honor by trusting in him. And we show that trust by prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We look to him knowing that he's our father who's in heaven. And we look to him as the one who alone has the power and the majesty to supply then our every need. Now what that means practically then is as we hold God in high regard, as we esteem him as Jehovah, the independent one who is our covenant-keeping God, we're not concerned about our day-to-day needs because we know that he will satisfy our every need. When we're concerned about bills and when we're concerned about outstanding debt, we turn to him because he's the one who is our keeper and our helper and the one upon whom we entirely depend. We're not quick to lean on the government. We're not quick to turn to the mercy of perhaps hospitals or others. We don't try to trick a system so that we don't have to pay what we owe. We stand before God and we acknowledge Jehovah God is the one whom we honor, whom we esteem, the one who has not only called me and given me to know the wonder of my relationship to him, but the one also who sets these expenses before me, the one who has ordered my life in such a way that these are the things that I owe. And we stand before him then as the one who will provide us with that which we need. This text gets at our relationship with God. And our relationship with God is such that we stand before God, acknowledging Him then to be the weightiest thing in our thoughts. His faithfulness, His honor, His glory is number one in everything that we take up. So that no matter what we do, we're always thinking first of God. We're thinking of His glory. We're esteeming Him and giving Him the reverence that He owes us. And so as we work and as we receive our income and as we have to pay for our expenses, we always are putting God first. We're honoring him and turning to him as the one to whom we owe our all. That knowledge of Jehovah, that knowledge of his love for us, his faithfulness toward us, is that which we adore. And we demonstrate that by our conduct and our attitude putting value, putting weight on the greatness of his majesty and his glory, the wonders by which he has taken us and brought us into fellowship, communion with himself, the wonder by which he has brought us into his family and given us to know, I am your heavenly father. I love you with an everlasting love and I will care for you and I will provide your every need. He doesn't just treat us like a rock. He treats us as one who is his own, whom he loves unto death. And so we take that knowledge of his covenant faithfulness. We take that knowledge of his goodness and his mercy toward his church throughout all ages. And we take the wonder by which he's drawn us to himself. And what's our response? The canons of Dort put it beautifully. In canons 1 verse 13, we render grateful returns of ardent love to him who first loved us. Now God says here, honor me by giving your first fruits to me. Show that by prayer and show that by your attitude and your conduct. Now we ask ourselves, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean to honor God then? Now there's a lot of different aspects to honoring God, but the text here specifically points out Honor the Lord with thy substance. Put so much importance on God and on the weighty place that he occupies in your life. Put so much weight on his promises, on his values, that you're willing to put him first in everything that you do. Now the concept of first fruits is introduced here with the first fruits of all thine increase. That idea originated in the Old Testament with the first sheaf, the first fruits of the barley harvest. 
We read of it in Leviticus 23, verse 10. God instructed them to bring the first fruit, the first sheath to him. And when God accepted that first fruit then, that was a picture. It became a guarantee that the rest of the crop would be harvested. Now it required faith. In other words, you go out to your field and it's time to harvest finally. You've been looking forward to this day for weeks. And now finally, the first load, the first thing that you harvest, you turn around and you give it to God. Now that requires faith because it could be that it starts raining. It could start snowing. We could have a hailstorm so that the rest of the crop is gone. The sense that God was teaching his people was this. Put me first and trust me that I will give you sufficient harvest. I will not send the locusts. I will not send the hail. I will enable you to bring and to gather in the harvest. And so Israel was taught, honor the Lord. View God as the most important thing in your life, so important that you're going to take the first of the barley harvest, the first of the grapes, the first of every harvest, and you're without hesitation going to devote it to God. Now the Apostle Paul makes clear that that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Jesus himself is identified in verse 23 as the firstfruits. Now that's a beautiful significance, and we understand the idea of it. Although a number of people in the Bible were spoken of as having been raised from the dead. We have the daughter of Jairus, we have Lazarus and others. They all returned back to the grave. They all had to die again in due time. However, Jesus was the first who was raised from the dead and now he presents himself to God as the first fruits of that glorious resurrection harvest. And the picture is beautiful. The fact that Jesus is present with God is a guarantee the rest of the harvest is going to be taken in. God will gather his church. He will gather every last one of his own. And every last one of us will be brought into the fullness of the victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, as the first fruits, you and I, as believers, the rest of the harvest. And the presence of Jesus in heaven is the guarantee that God will see to it the rest of the harvest will be brought in. Now, in Jesus Christ, then, the evil that held us captive is destroyed. That evil of selfishness, self-seeking, has been destroyed. The bondage of sin and the devil and hell has been destroyed. And we are consecrated to God. We know now the grace to honor him, to esteem him, to hold him in high regard, and to seek him in everything that we do and say. And so we show that by praying to him, trusting in him, and giving of our all to him. Since we have been raised in Christ, we are called now to seek the things that are above. Colossians 3 verse 1. The Holy Spirit has transformed our hearts and our lives, enabling us now to walk before Jehovah, honoring him, esteeming him in true love and faithfulness. And through Jesus Christ, then, we have that power to overcome all the powers of evil that would choke our spiritual life, which would move us to sell our soul for the things of this life. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Substance is what we possess. The underlying principle of Christian stewardship is the truth God owns everything. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. God is the sole possessor of the whole of the universe. He owns everything, and everything that it contains. And God now entrusts all things to Christ, and in Christ, he entrusts possessions to his people in order that they might now serve as stewards of that which they receive in Christ. 
And so God now, in Christ, makes us stewards of the possessions that he gives us. He gives us homes and cars and businesses. He gives us farm and land. He gives us tractors and cars, investments. He gives us children. He gives us relationships. All these things he showers upon us. And the believer then turns to God and knows the obligation because of the weightiness of who God is and what God has done for him that he owes his all to God. He is called to use everything that he has now in the service of his Lord, his Master, and his King. And he turns to God then and he returns to him a portion of that with which he's been blessed as he knows himself to be a recipient of that mercy and salvation that is in Christ. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. And then involved in that is of our substance we bring to the Lord. So that our offerings are an expression of our faith and our trust in God. We give to the Lord, trusting that He will continue to care for me. And He will grant me everything that I need. I'm not fearful of what tomorrow or next week or next month will bring. He has given it to me now. I entrust it to him, believing that all that I am, I owe to him. As we sing in Psalter number 383. Now, a fundamental principle of that obedience to God is contributing generously to support the causes of God's kingdom. If we're truly stewards, we contribute generously, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. We give to God and we do so with thankful hearts, hearts that love God, hearts that acknowledge we are entirely dependent upon Him. We prayed for our daily bread. He gave us a month's worth. And now we desire to show to Him our gratitude and thankfulness for what He's done for us. The kingdom causes, as we're well aware, include providing for the needs of the poor, for the pastor, for the seminary, for the work of missions, evangelism, all the other needs relating to our spiritual life here on earth. The support of our Christian schools is related as we cannot destroy our churches by bad education of our children. Our youth must be taught to glorify God and in doing so must be brought up in good doctrine as Proverbs 4, verse 2 insists. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. The question often comes up in terms of being stewards and giving. How much of our substance must we set aside for the Lord? How much ought we give? But we know the proper question really has to do more with not what must I give, but rather how much can I give? We ought to view it as a privilege an opportunity, and again, based on our honoring and esteeming the greatness of the glory of our God. We honor Him with our all. Now, our flesh wants structure. Just tell me what I need to do. And that's what our flesh desires even with regard to our salvation. We say, just, just tell me what to do. If God would say, crawl on your knees from Hall to Sioux Center, and then you can be saved, we'd get on our knees, and we'd crawl all the way, because then we could just say, I'm saved now. The rest of my life doesn't matter. I did what was necessary. But God doesn't treat us that way. God desires our hearts. God desires that we show forth praise and thankfulness from the heart, not just outward motions, God works in us the desire to esteem him, to honor him with everything that we have. And to look at giving not as a requirement, rather as that which is a privilege. Now we recognize in that regard the fact that there are different aspects to our giving. When we look at tuition, often while that can be classified as giving for the causes of God's kingdom, in a sense that's an obligation, a matter that we need to provide in return for what our children are being provided with in their training. We look at the general fund budget also, and we recognize that that's set up in a different manner, a fixed expense that's then divided by the number of members 
in the congregation in order that a suggested specific amount is given with regard to that which is necessary to maintain the congregation. But especially beyond that, there are those aspects of free giving. Now, in the Old Testament, God required at least three different kinds of offerings. The most prominent was the tithe, and we're familiar with that. A tithe standing for 10%, one-tenth. The tithe required that a full tenth of everything had to be presented to God. And God laid that out in Leviticus 27. But that was based on already something that had been instituted back during the time of Abraham. Abraham gave a tithe of everything that he had to Melchizedek. And then later, Jacob, in Genesis 28, instituted that practice. Jacob realized everything that he had was God's. And as he saw the vision of the angels going up and down the ladder, he realized increasingly that standing before God and honoring God, everything that he had belonged to God. And so he promised and he committed in chapter 28, verse 22, that he would give one-tenth of everything that he had to the Lord. In the Old Testament, then, God provided a number. He said one-tenth. And that was to provide for the work of the Lord, and it was very carefully regulated. So that one year, that tithe would go, for instance, to Jerusalem's feasts. The feasts of Jerusalem would benefit from the tithes that were presented. Another year, the tithe would be given to widows and to strangers. Another year, the tithe would go for the purpose of the Levites and for their care. So that God had structure and God had regulation that would dictate all the ways in which those tithes were distributed. In addition to that, there was another offering, and that was the appointed offerings that were required of the Israelites at set times with obligations for every family. And that's laid out in detail for us in Numbers 28. As we read through Numbers 28, we find all of the various details laid out. My offering and my bread for my sacrifices, and this is the way it's going to be. He says there's lambs that are laid out, there's flour that has to be given, there's wine that has to be presented. Some times of the year, there's bullocks that are required. God laying out very carefully throughout the whole of the year what month and what day they were required to do what. And so they had to keep careful record of this so that throughout the course of the year, there was tremendous sacrifice that was required of them. On this day, they had to give unleavened bread. On this day, they had to give young bullocks. Seven lambs had to be given on this day. And throughout the year then, all of these obligations that were laid upon a family. And finally, in addition to that, there were also free will offerings that were required. And they were especially associated with the feasts of weeks, spoken of in Deuteronomy 16, verse 10. God speaking of the various feasts and then the opportunities that they had in terms of the giving Deuteronomy 16, verse 10, And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a freewill offering of thine hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God, according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. So already in the Old Testament, God didn't just lay it all out clearly. He also gave them this opportunity. As I blessed you, give willingly. Three principles we can glean from the offerings in the Old Testament. First, already in the Old Testament, there was required of them more than merely a tenth. There are some that cling to tenth and believe that tenth is the secret answer. Already in the Old Testament, more was given than a tenth. In some cases, a lot more. Often they were required to bring multiple tithes so that sometimes it would have been upwards of 20% of all of their possessions. Secondly, it's clear that the tithes and the offerings were used by God to provide for the ministry of the word. They were brought to the temple, they were brought to the Levites often, and they were distributed then for the work of God and for the work of God's kingdom. Thirdly, already in the Old Testament, these offerings were expressions of gratitude. They were expressions of thankfulness to God for the faithfulness and the honor that was due unto Jehovah God. 
So the giving of the tithes was not a way to earn something. It was not a way in which they were demonstrating some meritorious work. It was a response to God for what God had done for them. And chief, it had to do with this. Jehovah God had brought them into the land of Canaan, a land that flowed with milk and honey. And now in gratitude to God, this is how they were to conduct themselves with regard to the bounty with which God had blessed them. Now we need to note the specific tithes and offerings that we just spoke of were bound up in the types and in the symbols of the Old Testament. The obligation to tithe as an obligation, a duty, was fulfilled by Christ through his death and resurrection. He gave of himself, and he satisfied then all of the Old Testament regulations. He was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament sacrifices and all of the various aspects of the law that were dealing with all of the Passover feasts and the other requirements. The outward form has passed away, but the principles yet remain. We're still required out of thankfulness to give unto the Lord, to honor the Lord with our substance. And God treats us now as those who are mature, those who are his church that has attained a spiritual maturity. God doesn't provide a number to the New Testament saints, but the idea is the same. Honor God. Put so much weight, so much attention on God that you're putting God first in everything that you do in your life. That you're counting him worthy of prayer. That you're looking to him in entire dependence upon everything that you have. You're looking to him in your need. And with your wealth, you're using all for him and for his service. Whatever talent, whatever gift God has given you, it's not yours. He's merely entrusted it to you for a time for the use of his kingdom. And so God doesn't just require 10%, doesn't require 20%. God says, you need to give me everything. Notice the emphasis, honor the Lord with thy substance. And especially in the New Testament, that becomes very explicit. We read of that especially in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Jehovah God speaks there of cheerful giving, not sparingly, not grudgingly, cheerful, generous. All our substance used in his service. Now the text also speaks of and with the first fruits of all thine increase. There's a criteria that we must use as we bring our gifts to the Lord. And that criteria has to do with the best, the first. That again is the principle here. The first fruits were the best, the first that God gave to Israel. The first grain, the first of the lambs, the first of the grapes. And by this admonition, God requires, trust in me. Look to me ahead of everything else in your life and trust that I am the one who will provide your every need. God requires of us not the sweeping up of what's left in the granary, but the first fruits. Think of Elijah, his unashamed request to the widow of Zarephath to bake first for him that bread. We're standing before our glorious God, and the question is, do I trust him? How do I show that I trust him? Beloved, as men and women of prayer, we demonstrate that trust. We demonstrate that dependence upon him. Standing before our glorious God, we make this as our confession. This God is my God. He's the independent one. He's Jehovah, my covenant-keeping God. And he's the one now to whom I bring my all trusting and believing he will not let my family starve. He will provide for me and he will care for me. 
Now, there's a temptation that we know all too well to view this life as a glorified grab bag, lavishing everything on ourselves so that we make some money and we take that money now and we want to spend it on the things that we desire and the things that we want. And so we go out. We buy what we want. We buy what we need. And we're willing to go to great extent to satisfy our every desire. Spending money on things that we don't need, things that we want. Now, depending on circumstances where we have the means, that may be perfectly appropriate. But is there that sense of lavishness then when we consider God and consider the causes of His kingdom? When the Lord's work is under discussion, do we have that same lavish, generous spirit? Or is it now more skimpy, more average? Do we think of what we would like others to treat us with? Or do we pull back? Often we're poor stewards. And it's not because we don't have what we could give. It's not that we do not have the means. Rather, we get caught up in this selfish spirit that my life is about me. I forget the Lord. I'm not keeping the Lord ever before my eyes. I'm not living with his honor, his weight, his heaviness before me as I ought. And we get drawn then into the leisure, into the entertainment craze of this world, and our lives are centered not around God, but they're centered around all kinds of other activities. And we begin to live for the things of this world as ends in themselves. Jehovah God is my Father, my tender, beloved Father, who's drawn me to himself, who works in my heart now the grace by which I honor him. And he knows what I need. And so I show that honor as I go forward, not knowing what this planting season will bring, but trusting that he's the weighty one, worthy of all praise, and the one upon whom I depend. And beloved, honoring him, we will be blessed. Honoring Him, there is joy as we serve Him with that with which He's given. And that's the blessing this text here speaks of. As we put Him first and as we honor Him and as we acknowledge Him as the one upon whom we're entirely dependent, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. What a wonderful and marvelous word. Generous, cheerful givers reap bountiful harvests. Again, that's the spirit of 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. Now think of the farmer. He's got the grain, and he doesn't know how much he needs. He sows generously, though that causes tears for a time, though it may cause some pain, knowing that in God's good favor, he will reap bountifully. If you plant a lot, you're going to get more. If you don't plant much, you're not going to get as much. Now we realize that this has to be understood both in terms of physical and spiritual blessings. From a physical perspective, what is God promising? God will give us everything that we need. All of our earthly needs will be met. And that's the picture of the barn. Our barns will be filled with plenty. The idea there is not that we're going to become rich. In other words, that if you give to the Lord, then because of that, on the basis of that, there's going to be earned favor. That's not the idea. The point is that out of gratitude, we put God first, and we trust in Him, and we know that Jehovah God will grant us all that we stand in need of. He's the one who provides We're never going to be losers as those who are children of our Heavenly Father. Now, the Bible is full of promises that stand in agreement with this Word of God that we have here in our text. And we know the promise often is not with, the problem is not with God's promise. The problem is with our faith to believe the promise. And that's the struggle. We honor ourselves instead of God. When we put God first in our lives, in our possessions, our giving, God blesses us. God is the one who grants everything that we need in order to meet our needs. This isn't just a well wish of God. 
Jehovah God says, when you're writing your checks, I'm watching you. I'm looking at what you're doing. I see what you've got in your bank account. I'm the one who will care for you. I will watch over you. Seek me first. Give me the first fruits. Honor me with all your substance, and you'll be blessed. Don't even question whether you have enough to meet the monthly needs with regard to the giving that is set before you. Generously provide, believing that Jehovah God will grant you what you need. It may come through overtime. It may come through an extra job. It may come through family members. It may come through the deacons. But God's word is sure. Now, no, God doesn't say your houses will be full. He doesn't say your wardrobe is going to be replenished and your pantry is going to be well stocked. Your barn will be filled. And again, the significance of that has to do with that which is necessary. Your crops and your animals. I will give you what you need in order that you will continue to be able to go forward. I'm not going to give you increase for show. Not going to give you increase simply for excess. But your needs will be met in abundance. Trust me. And beloved, we do that as we cast our cares upon him. Give us this day our daily bread. We honor him in prayer. But most importantly, spiritually, we will be blessed with increase in sanctification and contentment. And ultimately, with the joy of fellowship with Jehovah God. We experience those spiritual blessings now already. And God reminds us that we can't take anything with us. When we die, everything that we have is going to be left behind us. So that as we live in the experience of these spiritual blessings, God's fellowship, the love of God, the works that God is pleased to perform in and through us, God is keeping us from covetousness. God is keeping us from greed. He's keeping us from earthly mindedness. He's keeping us from the pursuit of all of the things of this life as ends in themselves. And God is, by his grace and by his good favor, preserving and keeping us in the enjoyment of his love and his goodness. Because what is the blessing ultimately that we look forward to? The new heaven and the new earth. And in that new heaven and that new earth, We aren't going to need any of the physical possessions that we have now. We can't take anything with us. It's the fullness of the Godhead. The fullness of the relationship with God is what we experience in glory. The fullness of that honoring Jehovah. Now we do it with sin. Then we will do it in perfection, in all of its glory. And notice verses 11 and 12. Just because there's struggles, not just because there's losses here below. Don't despise the work of God. Jehovah God is performing a perfect work. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Because of Jesus Christ, God's work will be perfected for all of his children. And so we are to keep our focus on God, on his honor, on his glory. Honoring him as the most important one in the whole of our life. When we live without putting God first, without giving him the first fruits, without acknowledging him as the one that's worthy of all of our substance, there will be tragic results. God gives us over then to that selfishness. He gives us over then to the pursuit of earthly mindedness. He gives us over to the pursuit of the things that are here below as ends in themselves. And there's no blessing. One will never get out of debt that way. God will just allow us to sink further and further into the ways of sin. We continue to waste the good gifts that God gives us. How can we expect God to help us? How do we expect God to bless us when we're not honoring him? We're not seeking him. We're not putting him first. Again, beloved, honoring him with our substance, putting him first is the joy, the blessedness that is ours. We confess our sins. We seek first the things of God's kingdom. The Israelites of old struggled with this. When they came back out of captivity, they came back to Jerusalem. 
They were working so hard, and yet they couldn't get ahead. They finally decided, we need to work on the Sabbath. That's the only way we're going to get ahead. And so they worked even more. And what, is, what does the Bible say? It uses very, very graphic language that it was as though they put their money in sacks that had holes in them, and the money just ran right out. They never got ahead because they were not maintaining obedience to Jehovah God. And the prophets had to tell them, quit working on the Sabbath. Esteem the Lord on the Lord's day. And then, then you'll experience that wonder and that joy of Jehovah's care for you. We live with him large and heavy in our understanding. And we show it in prayer with our substance, with our first fruits. Literally, we read here, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, the idea there is not that they'd actually burst. If they burst, we wouldn't have anything. But the idea is that Jehovah God will satisfy the needs of his children to such a degree that we will overflow. We will run over with the provisions that Jehovah God bestows upon us. Think of Psalm 23. My cup runneth over. Such is the provision of God. God is not stingy. God generously provides for the needs of his children. Beloved, as we stand on the threshold of another season of planting and harvest, we lay hold on this promise of Jehovah God. The things that God provides are of value only as we use them in the service of the king. When we put them in our own service, they fade and they die. God has given us to know the marvel and the wonder of his love. And he's transformed our hearts into hearts that love him and that seek his glory. And our walk with him as our covenant-keeping God is the most important relationship in our life. Honor him. Now, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. We're not giving to him in order to supply a need. He already has everything. He's Jehovah. But he's the God of all grace who so mercifully has been pleased to establish that relationship of love with us in Jesus Christ, not because of anything of us, but because he wants to, and because it's his good pleasure, and because he now will lead and guide us through this life as pilgrims and strangers to the glory that awaits. In that there is joy unceasing, and that becomes, beloved, the motivation for prayer without ceasing. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, strengthen us in the pursuit of thy honor and thy glory. Grant that out of gratitude and thanksgiving we might honor thee in all things with our substance, generously showing forth our thankful praise to thee, the God of our salvation. And may thy blessing and thy care be evident in our midst for Jesus' sake. Amen.